Good morning, everyone. Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 42, as we begin our study today. We're coming to the end of our series on Genesis. We only have about two more Sundays after this one, and we'll be complete. Genesis chapter 42 for our reading. At this point in our study, Joseph has become second in command of all Egypt, and his brothers have been sent back to bring back another brother. Let's see what happens in verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. And he said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And he said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day is with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you, and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies." And he put them all together in custody for three days. And on the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and He wept, and he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took 
Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. And this was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. And he said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? And they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan. They told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me. And take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to, to Sheol. May the Lord add his blessing at hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Well, first of all, I want to thank uh, many of you who were able to uh, come to the life celebration of my father yesterday. We really had a, a special time of celebration, and uh, our family felt so cared for by this congregation. And so uh, we're so very thankful for taking care of us um, in our time of need. Uh, we uh, passed out some information, uh, my dad's favorite book, One Minute After You Die. There's a few more of these on the back table. You might want to grab these on your way out. It's a great book by Erwin Lutzer that we'd highly recommend to you. But again, thank you so much for attending to us yesterday. Well, as we turn to our passage today, we have all been hurt, disappointed, let down, or even opposed by others around us in various ways and extremes. Like the business opportunity that you thought you had all locked up within your own company, and it was given to one of your rivals with no apology from your own company. You find out that people are talking negatively and destructively about you behind your back. Or one of your best friends and business partners starts a rival company just down the street from yours. Or your child that you love deeply now rejects you and will no longer have anything to do with you. Someone puts a big dent in your car or door in the grocery store parking lot and they don't leave a note. You find out that your wife has been cheating on you with one of your close business associates or the insurance company can't get the billing straight and you're now calling for the, the third time to try to talk to someone to correct the problem. Or you're afraid to go to the police because your husband has made threats 
that he will kill you and your family because you secretly know that your husband is really a murderer. Or an angry madman has taken a high school classroom hostage and your son was one of the fortunate ones that survived, but some of his friends didn't, and now your son is changed forever. How can we forgive people in such horrible, difficult situations? Beloved, we are living in a world of unforgiveness right now. We see it all around us. All of us have been hurt by people who have let us down, disappointed us, or even opposed us. And it's very easy for us to hold these people in our little dungeon of contempt that we've created for them in our own hearts and minds. But as Christ followers, we have been, given, we have been forgiven so very much, we really have no right to hold anyone in contempt based on the grace that we receive from God himself. So who do you need to forgive today? As we'll see in our study, to demonstrate the love of Christ, we can suspend our judgment of others. We can put away our contentious spirit as we quit living behind false pretenses. We can rest in God's sovereignty as we offer our lives in exchange for others. And ultimately, we can truly receive others through extending to them genuine heartfelt forgiveness. We've gone back to the beginning the book of Genesis. Today we're talking about choosing to forgive. I have six principles I want to share with you today in our study, but before we dive in, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we desperately need your help in our study. Lord, we ask that you would be our guide, that you'd be our teacher. Give us instruction. Give us knowledge that we might fall all the more in love with you because of who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, thank you for this time. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. Amen. So first of all, if you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth. To demonstrate the love of Christ, we can suspend our judgment of others. By way of a synopsis of 42, chapter 42 here, we're going to be looking at four chapters altogether. You're going, that'll be impossible. There's no way. Yes, there is. There's a way. We can do it. You've got to believe. In chapter 42, Joseph, the son of Jacob, has now become the second in command of all Egypt. And for seven years, he has harvested and stored grain in preparation for a coming famine that Pharaoh prophetically dreamed about, the very dream that Joseph himself had interpreted. And after seven years of harvesting and storing grain, the famine begins. And as the extent of the famine reaches the region of Canaan to the north, Jacob, i.e. Israel, sends Joseph's brothers, with the exception of Benjamin, to Egypt to buy grain. Benjamin, of course, was the favored youngest son of Jacob, and also Joseph's immediate brother through their common mother, Rachel. When the ten brothers arrive in Egypt to buy grain, Joseph, who they do not recognize, presses them harshly for information about their family history and their, their motives in the land, all the while keeping his identity a secret from them. There are all sorts of reasons why Joseph might have proceeded so harshly this way with his brothers. Perhaps to bring complete fulfillment of his dreams. In other words, that all of his family would come and bow before him as he had dreamt previously. Or perhaps to bring his brothers to full repentance about previously throwing him into a pit and selling him down the Nile River. Or thirdly, maybe to learn the disposition of his remaining father and brother. The brothers reveal that their father and brother still remain in Canaan. 
And Joseph accuses them of spying three times and has them imprisoned. And on the third day, Joseph offers to release all but one brother, Simeon, so they can return to Canaan and bring the youngest brother back to prove that they aren't spies and be allowed to live. Joseph loads their donkeys with grain and gives all their money back and sends them on their way. And meanwhile, as they're preparing for their journey back to Canaan, the brothers start considering their plight, and and Reuben suggests that their difficulties are from God, who is now punishing them for selling Joseph into Egypt as a slave. And Reuben has an I told you so moment with his brothers. Of course, all this time they are bickering. They think that the Egyptian ruler, Joseph, can't understand them since Joseph had used an interpreter to talk with them. But as their brother, Joseph, understands everything they are saying, he begins to weep and is moved. On the way home, they realize that all their money has been returned, and now they really despair. What is this that God has done to us? Subsequently, as they return, they inform their father Jacob, and Simeon is being held hostage in Egypt, and now Jacob despairs of losing Joseph, and now Simeon And Reuben, the eldest, offers his two sons in exchange for Simeon to go back to Egypt with Benjamin, but Jacob refuses and does nothing. But our point here on this, to demonstrate the love of Christ, we can suspend our judgment of others. For Joseph, he could just judge his brothers and then offer retaliation against them. He could seek a payback for the hurt and harm his brothers had caused them. But rather, he suspends judgment and gives his brothers an opportunity to demonstrate their heart. It's all too easy for all of us to draw wrong conclusions about people based on our experience and then throw them under the bus or worse, throw them out of our lives. Here, Joseph creates an opportunity from his position for these brothers to redeem themselves before God and himself through suspending his own personal judgment. Paul speaks similarly in Romans 2, 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing, that's what Joseph is doing. He's being patient In well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? Why do you not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
Beloved, sometimes people will still choose poorly, even when we're being benevolent. But we still need to pursue reconciliation like Jesus did with Peter in John 21. Or like we see what Joseph is doing here. We need to give people an opportunity to make things right. We need to give them an opportunity to make right choices by suspending our judgment of them. You're not one of those judge people, are you? Where you're constantly looking at people and looking down at them? Surely you're worse than I am. Surely you deserve to be under my wrath and my angst and anger and frustration. Especially when you get cut off in traffic, right? That's how that happens when that shows up. Oh, not you, no. And we become hideous, destructive, hurtful. Maybe we can suspend our judgment on people. Maybe we don't have enough data to draw real conclusions about who they really are or maybe with what they're dealing with. Secondly, not only should we suspend our judgment, to demonstrate the love of Christ, secondly, we can offer our lives in exchange for others. I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you, but let me summarize it. Chapter 43. At this point, Jacob doesn't do anything. He doesn't send anybody back. They're going to just stay there for a while and enjoy the food while Simeon is stuck down there. The famine continues, and Jacob has no choice but to, to finally send the boys back to Egypt for food. Judah reminds Jacob that they cannot return to Egypt unless Benjamin, the youngest, goes with them. And now in a bold move, Judah finally offers himself to his father Jacob as surety for the safety of Benjamin's life. Jacob changes his mind and allows Benjamin to go with the boys to Egypt to buy grain with double the money since their money was returned to them previously. They also take gifts with them to somehow placate the Egyptian official. So off they go back to Egypt. And upon seeing Benjamin, Joseph prepares a feast for his brothers and becomes very emotional over the whole situation. At the feast, he serves Benjamin a portion five times as much as his brother. Can you imagine how, how this is going to go? All the brothers are sitting there, and now Joseph sends out the food, and little Ben on the end of the table gets five times everybody else. I think the other guy is going to be a little hot about that. Hey, what's going on with that guy? By the way, just any little bit of a inequity frustrates people, right? Right? Somebody cuts in front of you in line, that's frustrating. Hey, hey, that's my spot. Hey. Someone gets a bigger piece of pie than you. Hey, 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 hey. We get a little ridiculous about this stuff. You can imagine how the brothers are looking down at the end of the table. What's the deal with Ben here? Now, Jacob changes his mind and sends him down there. In chapter 44, Joseph tests the brothers by placing the youngest brother, Benjamin, in a compromising position. Joseph frames Benjamin as a thief and threatens to enslave him in chapter 44. In another bold and Christ-like move, Judah again offers himself in exchange for Benjamin's freedom so as not to grieve his father of Benjamin's life. It is at this moment of self-sacrifice on Judah's part that Joseph is completely overwhelmed with compassion and forgiveness. And this brings us now to chapter 45. But before we look at chapter 45, twice here, Judah demonstrates himself as a Christ type as he first offers himself as surety to his father Jacob for the safety of Benjamin. 43.9 says, I will be a pledge of his safety. 
That's what Judas says. I'll be the pledge. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Second, he offers himself as a slave to Joseph in exchange for Benjamin's freedom. In 44, verse 33, Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Judah's actions here seem to be in great contrast to his complete moral failure that he had with Tamar just a few chapters ago in 38. But now Judah demonstrates himself as a different man as he, display, as he displays clearly Christ-like qualities and character. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this that someone lays down his life for his friends. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Paul writes in Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 1 John 4.11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Over and over again, this motif of laying our life down so someone else can live. Even so much so, Paul teaches in Ephesians 5.25, husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Even in marriage, this should be the case. Guys, get a clue. Gals, give him a nudge. It's okay. We're called to lay down our lives for each other and for our wives. To demonstrate the love of Christ, we can offer our lives in exchange for others, and that's what Judah does here. It's beautiful. We go, this is awesome. This is a different kind of Judah. Where's the other Judah who was so full of immorality and now he's doing this incredible sacrificial thing? We can suspend our judgment of others. We can offer our lives in exchange for others. But thirdly here today, to demonstrate the love of Christ, we can quit living behind our facade. Chapter 45. Here we read in 45, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. You can imagine the emotions. He's been in, in prison for years and years and years. And now eight years in leadership in Egypt. Everybody needs to get out of here. All the servants, everybody out. Just me and my brothers. He weeps aloud so that the Egyptians heard it in the other room. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Can you imagine this? What? I mean, drop the mic moment. Wow. Unbelievable. In our account, Joseph finally reveals who he is. The question is, do people really know who you are or are you living behind a facade? Are you living behind false pretenses? Jesus was real. Are you real? It seems often enough that we are just dealing with plastic people who are living plastic lives, hiding behind plastic smiles. In our church plant, 
one of our core values was the idea of authentic believers. This is what we wrote as one of our core values for the plant. As a church, we are dedicated to living a life that will honor and glorify Jesus Christ in all areas of daily living. Love, integrity, and honesty are essential for authenticity. This value will manifest itself as we offer genuine care for others that in turn invites others to come and grow. Oh, that we would be a body of believers that demonstrates authenticity. No plasticness, no pretend. How you doing? Great, everything's great. Really? No, I'm not doing very well today. But that means when we're going to ask the question, how you're doing, are you actually ready to listen and willing to listen to what's going on? Because we want to say, oh, how you doing? I'm really out of here. See you. No, how are you doing? Because I care about you. Authenticity. Not living behind the facade any longer. Matthew 23 Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Man, I hope that's not us. I hope we're not just a pile of dead people's bones and sacks of skin today, but that we're alive in Christ authentically. Peter writes, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Remember Peter? You remember Mr. Denier guy? I don't know the man. I don't talk about Mr. Plastic, right? Hey, I'm not with them. I don't know him. Cock a doo do. Three times denying. He says, you know, I didn't have that right. Could we love one another earnestly from a pure heart? He learned that lesson. If you haven't done so already, it's time. It's time to take off the mask and get real with each other as a church. We need to quit living behind our facade. Joseph realizes the jig is up. I've got to take the mask off. It's me, guys. It's Joseph. But fourthly here, to demonstrate the love of of Christ, we can rest in God's sovereignty. And don't miss this. With everything we talk about today, don't miss this. We can rest in God's sovereignty. Watch how Joseph talks about the whole situation Verse four, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. Come here, you guys. And they come near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here. You guys think you threw me down the river. No, you didn't. God did that. But God, he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, 
Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. That is, don't wait. Come right now. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me, and you and your children, and your children's children, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I'll provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and, and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you've seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Four times Joseph points to what God was doing all along, even in the midst of his being mistreated by his brothers. Beloved, this is so important for us to understand. We're talking about the sovereignty of God. Our God is sovereign. He's in control. The question is, will we trust him? Will we wait on him? In Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, he gives a a beautiful description, a definition, if you will, of God's sovereignty. Ken Sandy writes, to be sovereign means, for God to be sovereign means to be supreme, unlimited, and totally independent of any other influence. God alone has such power. The Bible teaches that God's dominion is so great that he has ultimate control over all things. His sovereignty extends over both creation and preservation. He rules over all governments. He alone controls individual lives and destinies. At the same time, he watches over events as small as a sparrow's fall from a tree. This is our God. Sometimes you think, boy, God, I I don't know if you're there. I don't don't think you're listening. I don't think you get what's going on. Oh, yeah, he is. He sees it all. He's sovereign. He knows you. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows the pile of garbage you're carrying around with you that you're longing to set down somewhere. Oh, just put it down. Put it down at the foot of the cross. Let him have it. Let him take control. Trust him in all of it. He is sovereign. No matter what is going on in your world, if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, then from Joseph's example, you can know at least three things in the midst of your struggle. First of all, God is preparing you to preserve others. No matter what you've gone through, he wants to use you to preserve other people with your own struggle. For Joseph, you you seem to think that you sold me into slavery, brothers, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve you. But secondly, God is preparing you to save others. Joseph says, God sent me ahead of you to keep you alive. Maybe that's what God's going to do with you. He's going to use you to preserve lives. But thirdly here, God is preparing you for his kingdom. As Joseph says, you think you sent me here, but God made me the ruler of the land. God's got it. We need to simply rest in God's sovereignty. The better question is, will we? Lastly, this morning, to demonstrate the love of Christ with all that we've talked about, we can extend heartfelt forgiveness. Verse 14, listen to this. This is so beautiful, you guys. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. 
And after that, his brothers talked with him. This is what it's about. This is what we're all longing for, true reconciliation where things are finally made right. In the midst of it, we're like, well, God, when are you going to do that? When's it going to happen? He knows. He can handle it. Can we trust him? Will we wait on him? This incredible picture of forgiveness is taught throughout all Scripture. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know, perhaps you're dealing with somebody who's been really harsh, mean, difficult, nasty to you. And the temptation is, well, I'm going to be God, and I'm going to, I'm going to execute restri- you know, retribution and judgment. I'll teach them. I'll show them a thing or two. And we're just silly. And we forget how it is that we came to Christ to begin with. How did we come to Christ to begin with? Wasn't it the kindness and the tenderness of God that drew us to him? Yeah. And somehow we think if I'm just real mean and nasty, that'll straighten them out. And we're just, again, we're just wrong. The kindness of God. Oh, maybe we need to execute more kindness. Joseph's doing that. He's hugging him. He's kissing him. It's beautiful. Instead of holding on to his little grudge with his little scepter and his only little kingdom, he sets it down and goes, you're my brothers. He forgives be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's how we're to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Ah, this is so important. It's the essence of the gospel message, God's forgiveness. And based on how much we've been forgiven, we should be falling all over ourselves, forgiving others. There's three components of forgiveness, of course. When you forgive someone, you're promising to never, ever bring that issue up to that person. You're also promising to never, ever bring that issue up to other people. And this is the hard one. You're promising to never, ever bring the subject up to yourself, to brood on it, to dwell on it. This is how God has forgiven us. Praise God. God doesn't come up to you, hey, remember that thing you did 10 years ago? I'm still pretty upset about it. No, God doesn't do that. Praise God. And we shouldn't do that to each other, ever, for any reason. To demonstrate the love of Christ, we need to extend heartfelt forgiveness when we see that. Lastly, this morning, to demonstrate the love of Christ, we can put away our contentious spirit. Listen to how this goes. Verse 16, when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Uh, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan. And take your father and your households and come to me, and I'll give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. 
And the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey to each and all of them. He gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. There it is again. To his father he said as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away. And as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. I know who you are. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. And he is a ruler over all of the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, Is it enough, Joseph? My son is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Beloved, we need to be people that are not full of contention. Again, it's very easy when things go the wrong way or there's difficulty. We want to kind of blame somebody and blame shift perhaps and and get on each other's cases and so Joseph hey 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 guys no quarreling on the way no beating each other up over what's taking place proverbs reminds us through Solomon's writing a hot-tempered man stirs up strife but he who is slow to anger quiets contention James reminds us watch this but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast and be false to the truth This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, watch this, unspiritual, demonic. You mean quarrels and contentions is demonic? Yes. Why? Because wherever there's chaos, that's Lucifer's world, right? Order, joy, love, grace, that's God's world. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Years ago, some of you saw my brothers up here on stage yesterday with uh, my dad's funeral. It was just so great having everybody here. And I'm the little brother. I'm, I'm the runt of the family. And, uh, and my two brothers, I mean, they're, they both played you know, football for Wheaton College. They're just incredible athletes. And and, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I didn't play much football in college. Um, but I remember as we were moving into adulthood, we were on vacation up in northern Wisconsin one time. We were, we were on a, a tennis court. We're playing tennis. And sure enough, my brothers start arguing. Start arguing over the points and the tennis and the whatever. And it was just ridiculous. And, and one of them says, well, you're just so competitive. Why am not? This kind of stuff. And I'm like, really, guys? And now I'm little brother. Hey, hey, can, can we not do this? Can we just play ball? Can we just play some tennis here? Little brother has to you know, be the peacemaker. Maybe we should put the contentions away, the immaturities that go with it. And maybe we should just receive each other and love on each other. Beloved, all those things I list at the beginning of the message are either things that happened to me or happened to very dear friends of mine. I was the one that was overlooked for a business opportunity because of my faith in Christ. It was one of my closest friends who tried to start a church just down the street from our church plant. It was my dear friend's wife 
who cheated on him with his close business associate. He was one of our church plant members who actually turned out to be a murderer who had threatened his wife and children. He was one of our dear friends whose son was in a classroom in Colorado when a madman took students hostage and released some and killed others. How can we possibly forgive people in such difficult situations? Beloved, we need to remember that as Christ followers, we have been forgiven so very much, and we really have no right to hold anyone in contempt based on the grace that we received from God himself. So how will you choose to forgive today? And who do you need to forgive? To demonstrate the love of Christ, we can suspend our judgment of others. We can put away our contentious spirit as we quit living behind our facade, and we can rest in God's sovereignty as we offer our lives in exchange for others. Ultimately, we can truly receive others through extending to them genuine, heartfelt forgiveness. Are you demonstrating the love of Christ in these ways through how you forgive? Who do you need to forgive today? Would you please stand with me as we close our service? Our gracious Heavenly Father, um, we're mindful of the fact that uh, sometimes we don't forgive very well. We're not very good at it. And we harbor bitterness and anger and frustration with people who've hurt us, disappointed us, even attacked us. And Lord, we see this incredible example with Joseph, how he has found hugging on his brother's necks and kissing them, loving on them. And we look at that, we go, oh, that's beautiful. But then five minutes later, we walk out of this place and we can't do it. Oh, God, we need help. We need help through the power of your Holy Spirit in us, through faith, that we might forgive as we have been forgiven. Oh, God, help us that we might be kind and patient. May the fruit of the Spirit be flying out of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, all these wonderful things, self-control. Oh, God, we need your help. We need your work in us. And, Lord, may this be that kind of a place where your love and kindness is reigning. Lord, only you can make the difference as we submit ourselves to you. Lord, it's possible there's someone here today who's, who needs to forgive somebody. Lord, you know the story. You know the issues. Lord, I pray that somehow they would do what they need to do, that they would go to the person if need be, and they would forgive them, especially if the person's asked for it. But Lord, maybe it's a situation where they just need to, in their heart, quietly put their weapons down and forgive in the quietness of their heart, just even right now. Lord, help them to forgive everybody and anyone. Lord, that we might be all free from bitterness, frustration, anger, strife, chaos, every evil thing. That we might be led by you in the power of your spirit. So, Lord, we need your help in these things, and we turn to you and we ask you for it. Grant us forgiveness as we forgive others. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for Joseph's awesome Christ-like example. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name today. And all God's people said, amen. Have a fantastic week. Thank you so much for coming.